Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Three Point Weekly. Today, we'll be grading every Western Conference team's offseason up to this point. So be sure to leave your thoughts on each team's offseason down below in the comments. But we're going to get right into it, starting off with the number one seed from last year's Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns. We'll start off with you. Hey, get into this. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to have to give this one probably probably like a C-. minus. I'm not really a big fan. Didn't really bring in anybody that impactful. You still have the big DeAndre Ayton thing going on. So it's like keeping it simple, really just not great, but when you're already such a good team, it's like how much moves can you really make? D plus. You lost JaVale McGee. Ayton still is not signed. Um, So I don't even know. Like we was just talking before we hit record. Don't even know what that situation looks like. And then like you're – Big signings is like Damian Lee, Josh Okogi. I, I I hate it. Um, they did re-sign Bismack, which was cool. They gave Book his max extension. But going into next season, I like. I mean, already the way their year ended was just like a disappointment. But now I'm a lot less confident in this team. Chris Paul is going to be a year older, and they didn't really address any of the needs that was really their downfall. So right now it's a D plus. We'll see if KD ends up there, but it's it's not impressive so far. Yeah, I'll give them a C minus for now. Um, but as mentioned by you guys, like it's really just going to be dependent on what happens with DeAndre Ayton, uh, whether he does resign or if he does leave, what the return ends up being for him. Uh, because as you mentioned, Terry, the needs for this team haven't really been addressed yet. Uh, you lost one of the best backup centers in the league in JaVale McGee. Biombo can do the job mm-hmm. fine. But there's definitely still some concerns with this group. Uh, and of course, you have arguably the biggest free agent left on the board in DeAndre Ayton that still has to be dealt with. And however that ends up folding will change a lot moving forward. Uh, moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies, one of the more surprising teams in a positive manner last year. Haven't necessarily stayed quiet this summer. Uh, and we'll get your thoughts on that, Sari. Um, I would give it, I'm going to give it a B for right now. Um, they did trade away DeAnthony Melton, which was, not a head scratcher, but because I'm I'm done judging what they do when they trade guys after they get their value up because they always seem to develop somebody like probably Zaire Williams is going to come back and be like a really good player next year. So I'm not going to doubt that move. Um, I think their draft picks, I never doubt their draft because they always hit in the draft. So I'm going to give it a B. I'm excited to see like LaRavia, uh, David Roddy on the court this season. And even Kennedy Chandler, they're kind of raving about him. He got his contract. I think he signed that the other day. So I'm going to give them a B because really good draft and they just, you know, made necessary moves to get better. And just, you know, like you mentioned, a very successful team last season. I expect them to be maybe not just as good, but they're going to be more experienced this year and they're going to be a threat in the Western Conference. Hey, this team got Kenny Lofton. I think they might have won the offseason. I'm going to be honest. Watching their summer league games, he's he's just one of those guys that's like, you just you just love to see it. I don't know, but in all, in all seriousness, like I, I'm really high on DeAnthony Melton, but just for like money reasons, it's like you're gonna have to pay him eventually. So I guess they're kind of choosing what players they want to keep and who they're more willing to move off of. So I mean, I don't love to see it, but bringing in Danny Green, I mean that can be something nice little veteran presence because for a team that a lot of people criticize as being too young. So ups and downs. I'd probably give it a B as well. I think. Yeah, I'd probably give it a B as well. Um, on the note of Danny Green, I 
I don't even know if he'll play, um, given that serious injury he picked up later on in the playoffs. So he might be. I expect he was mainly just here as a salary filler and the pick being attached onto it, which ended up being uh, pick 23. Whether he's back on the later part of the season, he could prove to be valuable later on, but uh, he won't be playing anytime soon. Uh, as far as the DeAnthony Melton move, I have no problems with it, given the fact they had so much depth at the guard position. Um, Tyus Jones ended up being re-signed, which then made more sense as to why DeAnthony Melton got moved, and John Conchar got re-signed to an extension uh, for the next three years as well. So they locked up their backcourt with Tyus Jones and Conchar off the bench, uh, so it made DeAnthony Melton a little bit uh, less necessary to this team. They still have very good depth in their backcourt. Uh, they locked up Jaw long-term, and as you mentioned, Tariq, they had four <laughs> four draft selections, and Memphis has seemed to be able to draft well. Uh, so anytime they can add that much more young talent, uh, Kenny Lofton playing well uh, via Summer League as well. So it looks like they're continuing to take steps in the right direction moving forward. Uh, they lost Kyle Anderson as well via free agency, but as mentioned, Zaire Williams will likely be looking to take another step forward and fill a bigger role. So I like what they've done. I think they've they haven't made that big move that some people might have thought after having such a successful season, but I think keeping that level of continuity and keeping that group together is a good way to go about it. Uh, moving on to the NBA title champions, the Golden State Warriors have had a few key bench players leave this summer. Uh, I'll get your thoughts first on it from you, Gabe. All right, if I'm taking this, uh, you know, it's a little – it's. It's got its ups and its downs. I think Dante DiVincenzo has the potential to be more impactful than anybody that they're losing. However, I think a big thing that really carried this team and a big reason as to why they won the title was because of their depth. And losing a fair amount of that, while JTA and Damian Lee might not have played the most this season, it's like still two guys that have been on the team for a minute and kind of well-liked in the locker room and just a part of the team chemistry and kind of team aspect Gary Payton, just a super hard-nosed player, and Otto Porter, who honestly maybe was more one of the unsung players on the team. I think he had quite a bit to do in that finals. He had some good moments. So I don't know, man. I think it really might be getting a C-minus for me. I, I don't know if they really got better. Do I think they'll still be fine and still be able to compete for a title next year? Absolutely. But it's like, did you get better? Probably not. So I'll go C-minus. He said C-minus? Yes. Oh, I was going to give him a B minus because I think, I mean, I think Gary Payne was kind of a, a decent sized loss. Um, you mentioned Otto Porter. I think that was a pretty impactful guy, but I think the rookies they had last year, I think they're going to step up in a big way. Um, Moses Moody, I know it's summer league, but he's killing. And even when him and Kaminga got minutes last year, they look really good. So that's, that's how I'm looking at it for them. I'm looking at this off season as, a gateway for them to get those guys minutes because they just couldn't find consistent minutes. I think they're going to be ready to produce. And they had two solid draft picks, like I think low risk type of moves. Like you got Patrick Baldwin Jr. late in the first round. Ryan Rollins was a big time scorer at the Mac level um, at Toledo. So I think they did a good job. Um, you lost like JTA who didn't really play. Damian Lee didn't really play. Otto Porter and Gary Payne, those might be losses, but I think they can be supplemented with Kaminga with, um, Moody and potentially, you know, James Wiseman can come back and give them something too. So I would give it a B minus. They didn't make, and you mentioned the DiVincenzo move. That's another low risk type move, which could pay off big time in the end. Yeah, I, I agree with that standpoint of they have the players that are ready to come in. And with the standpoint of Kaminga, 
uh, with Moses Moody. Uh, they are ready to come in and fill some of those roles. But ultimately, from purely a face value of what occurred this offseason, from who's coming in, who's coming out, I'm probably leaning towards more of a C-minus as well. But I don't think it's going to necessarily hurt them too much on the court moving forward. I think their depth is still going to be quite good. I, I think Kaminga is set for a very good season next year. I really like what I saw from him last year. And as you mentioned, Tyreek Moses Moody has been playing very well throughout Summer League. And it looks like he's ready to get a bit more of a regular spot on the rotation. But ultimately, the Gary Payton losses and Otto Porter losses are going to be significant. Um, they are going to have to make those adjustments. I think they will make those adjustments. Um, but from an on-court perspective, from rotations, from a locker room perspective, it seemed as though many people within the Warriors organization were surprised that Gary Payton uh, did not return. So there's certainly some adjustments that have to be made. From a fixed value of the offseason, I'm a bit more on a C-minus perspective. I'm not that high on it, but I think they'll be able to replace that depth on the court moving into next season. Yeah, if you consider those like internal improvements, I do think it's like probably probably just a net positive at least a net neutral just because especially you even mentioned the James Wiseman like him not playing at all being a number two overall pick and then winning a title like that's a pretty big deal because then if you have him and you just re-sign Kevon Looney it's like this whole dynasty this whole eight-year thing their biggest weakness has always been the center spot and it's like if Wiseman could come in and really be a solid piece you've got like two centers that are like solid really impact players so they can really get better. If we're just looking at the free agency moves, though, I do think it's a negative. Makes sense. Definitely does. Moving on to the Dallas Mavericks, who started off with one of the bigger trades before the draft and have made some very some very good low-risk uh, but smart moves that have certainly got the NBA talking throughout free agency and through Summer League. I'll get your thoughts first on it, Sari. Man. I'm gonna give it an A. I'm gonna give it an A. Almost wanted to say A plus because I really like this offseason, man. Um, first the Christian Wood trade was good, but then to get JaVel McGee. So now Wood probably won't have to play the five like as much. I love it. And then Jaden Hardy in the second round, a first round type talent, and he fell all the way to pick for 37. Another low risk type of move. They had a great offseason, man. That's an A for me. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I think they did pretty well. It's like with the whole Jalen Brunson situation, uh, I don't know if they wanted to give him that much money. So, like, the fact that they didn't kind of try and woo him back with matching what the Knicks had, it's like, okay, that's fine. But overall, like Tyreek said, it's like bringing in JaVale, bringing in Christian Wood, really solidifying that front court when you have Luca who can almost single-handedly carry the backcourt by himself. I like it. Yeah, I think that Jalen Brunson loss is the only thing for me that keeps me from calling this an A-plus offseason. I'm still giving it an A, though. They Their biggest need was at the center position, as far as I'm concerned. They had some fine guys there, but Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba just aren't quite the caliber you need. I want to get into the depths of the, off, uh, of the postseason, and you start matching up against some good teams that you need that. Uh, better rim protection or you need that better offensive production and they got a bit of both with Christian Wood and JaVale McGee uh, the JaVale McGee signing brilliant move I didn't really know where he was going to go but I think he fits the needs of Dallas very well from a rim protection standpoint from a rebounding standpoint we've already talked about the Christian Wood trade at large as well I think that was a brilliant move it was low risk and Jaden Hardy at pick 37 that's uh, it's already looking like a pretty darn good selection so I think Dallas have absolutely smashed this offseason 
obviously yeah. losing Bronson Hurts, but you have Spencer Dinwiddie in there now, so it's not like you have no one else from a perimeter creation standpoint. That, that's exactly what I was just about to say. You still got Dinwiddie, who I think he can be good enough. And then you're also getting Tim Hardaway Jr. back, who didn't play like the majority of last season. So you're getting guys back. I think they'll, they'll be able to supplement the loss of Brunson. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they got enough there to, to move on quite fine without it. Uh, moving on to the Utah Jazz, members of one of the biggest, if not the biggest trade of the offseason and still potentially one looming. Uh, but we'll start off with your thoughts, Gabe, on the offseason so far of the Utah Jazz. This is this is one of the hardest ones to grade, I think, just because it's just so hard to kind of gauge what they're doing. And we definitely talked a lot about this team last episode, and it's just a lot of like so many different angles to look at it. I think overall, I'm probably going to have to just go right down the middle right now and just give them a C, simply because you did get a big return for Gobert, but because you're keeping Donovan Mitchell around, I don't really know what you're trying to do. Are you trying to compete or are you trying to rebuild? Because if you're going in a rebuilding direction, this is like a lot of really good things. But if you're trying to still compete, then it's like, okay, we might need to change around some of this and do a little bit of retooling beyond just bringing in all the talent they did and all the picks. It's just like, if you're building around down, it's not complete. And if you're rebuilding, why is he still there? So because I can't really gauge it, I'm just going down the middle. Yeah, I'm going to say the same grade. Um, I want to see the full reset. Um, so, yeah, that Gabe pretty much just said everything that there is to say. It's just a weird situation right now. It might be a little incomplete at the same time. Maybe Donovan Mitchell gets moved a little down the line, but – I think a C is like the only grade you can actually give this right now. Yeah, like you guys mentioned, I mean, it's fully just dependent on on what does or doesn't happen with Donovan Mitchell throughout the remainder of the offseason. Um, I'll give them a B minus solely on the fact of I did not expect them to get such a big haul for Rudy Gobert. And the fact they got that much significant value back is very impressive and very important for them moving forward, especially if they do decide to go in the direction of a rebuild. Uh, if they decide to compete, I'm a little bit confused, then this becomes less than a B minus to say the least. Uh, but it's ultimately just going to be dependent on what they do with Donovan Mitchell. Uh, we're still very early into the offseason, so we still could see that change. Um, but they got very, very good return from Rudy Gobert. And the fact that we haven't seen them make any other moves that tends to point me in the direction uh, of competing, uh, the fact that they traded away Royce O'Neal, the fact that there still isn't a center on the roster does indicate to me that they are still very much looking at trading Donovan Mitchell. Now, whether that rings true, I don't know. Maybe they're just making conflicting moves, but uh, based on the return of Rudy Gobert, I would expect Donovan Mitchell does get traded, and at this point in time, I'll give them a B-, minus. but it really just does depend. Similar to Phoenix with the under-8 and uh, for Utah, it just depends what happens with Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I, I would say Danny Ainge definitely has like a plan. I'm sure he definitely has like a plan in mind of what he exactly wants to do with this team moving forward. Like we could we could be saying all this and Donovan Mitchell might get traded tomorrow. Like that's just how Danny Ainge works sometimes. Yeah, no, 100 percent. Moving on to the Denver Nuggets, a team that will hopefully finally be back healthy next year with Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray returning from significant injuries and have been busy themselves this offseason. We'll get your thoughts first from you, Gabe. You know, the Nuggets, it's, 
I'm not really sure how I feel yet. I think KCP and Bruce Brown can really kind of beef up their wings a little bit with Jamal Murray coming back. But it's like the players they lost, uh, like Monte, Will Barton, Jamichael Green, I feel like they were all like rotational kind of impact guys. And so they did lose some. They did gain some. I don't really know if they moved in either direction. But I think if you kind of want to take the angle you took from like where Tyreek was talking about the Warriors, where it's like internal improvements, like a James Wiseman coming back for them, the fact that this team has Jamal Murray and Michael Porter coming back and they've locked up Nikola Jokic for five more seasons, pretty much granting them, I mean, long-term relevancy at this point, I'd probably have to give them probably a B to B plus. I'd probably go B plus just because of how impactful the players coming back are. Um, is Ish Smith on their roster? He, he is in, currently he on their roster, it. yes. Okay. Yes. I'm I'm teetering between like a C plus and a B minus. I'm gonna give it a C plus because they signed DeAndre Jordan. I don't like that. He keeps a job. Y'all know how I feel about DJ at this stage <laughs> in his career. Man. I, I don't like that. Um I, the Bruce Brown signing, though, I think that was excellent. KCP is going to be a big help for them. But then I just – Monte Morris, when he's a backup point guard, probably the best in the league, or he's at least top two, top three. Like, he's one of the best backup point guards in the world, and he's going to be put back into that position. Maybe Ishmith can be just decent enough. I don't know. That's the only thing that's kind of conflicting for me. And then DeAndre Jordan, I don't like that. I'm surprised they didn't bring Boogie back because he was so good for them last season when he just got a little bit of minutes. But – I'm going to give it a C-plus for, for right now. Um, obviously, getting Jamal back healthy and Michael Porter, hopefully, is like a lot of additions. But based on the offseason, I'm going to give it a C-plus. I'm, go- I'm going with a B-plus for Denver currently. Um, Monty Morris is a significant loss, but I do think um, a big part of that was what they just wanted to open up more minutes for Bones Highland. Uh, I think he'll take a, a bigger role in that backup point guard spot. And although Austin Rivers hasn't been re-signed yet, I still expect he will return to Denver. That's been the communicated expectation over the course of the last couple of months. And I would expect he ends up returning and that ends up becoming their main guard rotation off the bench with Smith being more of a supplementary piece. Um, but I really, really like the additions of KCP and Bruce Brown for this team. And that's why I'm so high on their off season. Uh, one of the biggest concerns that I still had about this Denver team uh, was their defense specifically on the wing. Uh, Aaron Gordon, we know is good, but after that it was lacking. Um, and I think KCP is a very good addition. He gives some good three-point shooting, but also some great defense. And Bruce Brown just does a little bit of everything for you. He can screen. He can be a roller. He can be on the ball a bit. He can play make a bit. He's a good passer. He can compete well in the defensive end. He's just one of those winning players that you like to have around, uh, whatever his role ends up being, whatever position he ends up playing. Um, DeAndre Jordan is a concern. Uh, their backup center position is something they need to address because as far as I'm concerned, he shouldn't be getting regular rotational minutes in the NBA anymore. But ultimately, I think they addressed one of their bigger needs with KCP and Bruce Brown, and they locked up Nikola Jokic for another five years. So all in all, I think it's a fairly successful offseason for them. But they do need to figure out their backup center position because DeAndre Jordan should not be playing 10 to 15 minutes a night for you as far as I'm concerned. Zero. He should be playing zero. Well, he should be. That's what he Bro, should be playing. they was playing Paul Reed over him in the playoffs. Like, no, no disrespect to Paul Reed. He was actually playing decent. Oh, uh, Paul is like that. Like, you're that bad? Then they was playing, I think, Millsap at the small ball five in the backup lineup. Like, oh, my God. B-ball, Paul. I was going to ask him, what do y'all think the, like, ideal starting five 
for the Nuggets is, or maybe just their best five on the court. So they got options. Mm. They definitely got options. I'd probably say KCP at the two with Jamal and then MPJ, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic. Okay. I can probably roll with that. I think I was probably thinking that too. Yeah. Have Bruce Brown be your guy off the bench. Bones Highland can be your main guard off the bench. I don't know if it's like a, if it's like a last minute we need a stop type lineup though. Then you you then you throw in Bruce Brown. Yeah. Take MPJ out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll probably see some offense, defense rotations like that for sure. I'm just they, they just got, they got to show me something if they're going to be healthy because a lot of people's mindsets, mine included, is if they're healthy, they're a championship team. But I got to see it on the court, you know. I got to see it on the court, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that team fully healthy. I like. I think they're better than last year's Maverick squad, who made the conference finals. They're better than so like. Too. They're better than like. A Portland team that made the conference finals in this conference two years ago. They're better than a lot of teams that have made conference finals pushes in this conference. So it's like, will they get all the way over the humps of the finals? I don't know. But can they at least make it back to the conference finals where they were? Was it 2020? Yeah, the bubble. The yeah. bubble, yeah. So can they get back to there at least? I definitely believe so. I think so. I just I want to see it, man, because I'm a big fan. I actually like what the Nuggets have done over the years. Big Jokic guy. I love Jamal Murray's game. Just got to be healthy, man. That's the only thing. Jamal, that, to me, his like fifty-point game with zero free throws is one of the most impressive scoring games of the last like probably five to ten years. That's some two K stuff, bro. Because yeah, most of the time when you see like fifty, sixty-point game stuff like that, it's usually like fifteen free throws plus, and it's like yeah. for him to do all that, just getting straight buckets is like. That's incredible. The bubble is so conflicting yeah, because, like, you see guys like TJ Warren just turning into, like, Black Jesus. And then – but then it's like you, you do see, like, good players elevate to greatness, and that's what Jamal Murray did. But we just haven't seen that, like – he's always been somebody in the regular season, like, very inconsistent. Like, he has all-star talent, but he probably won't make, like, multiple all-star games because he's always banged up and stuff. So, I don't know. I, I want to see a full season of him just, like, relatively healthy. And see how good he can be because his talent is off the charts. Nobody I would trust more at the clutch free throw. Nobody. No Nobody. I'm telling you. I, I remember just the story came out where it's like, I swear it was like he had to make like a ridiculous amount in a row or something before he was allowed to leave. That's how it should be. Take notes. Facts. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's like you guys said, it's all about their health. Um, the other thing I need to see from them, too, is improvement in their defense. And that's why I like the Bruce Brown and KCP additions, um, because they're, they've typically been a top half defensive team in the regular season. Uh, but that does not translate to the playoffs. Uh, and obviously, Jokic has improved a lot since then, but there's still other concerns with their defense. Michael Porter Jr. needs to make strides on that end. Um, so if they can become a top half playoff defensive team, I think that's the biggest hurdle as well alongside being healthy, because everyone knows their offense is elite but the defense needs to at least be good enough to supplement it because I don't think their offense is good enough to carry them without having at least an average to slightly above average defense. I don't think anybody's offense really is in the league right now, especially come the playoffs. Yeah, I think we've seen it's like the best of the best can kind of get them. So like the past two years in a row now, the team they fell to was the team that came out of the Western Conference. So actually three years in a row because they made the conference finals the year before. So it's like, 
three years in a row at least, like the team that they lost to is the team that came out. So they're really good against a lot of teams, but just that extra push to get over the best of the best would be something to see. That's like six minutes of Nuggets talk right there. <laughs> Moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans, one of the most exciting teams heading into the next season. Uh, we'll start off with your thoughts, Tyreek. This team can can do no wrong. <laughs> they can't do no wrong lines. I'm, I'm going to just give them like an A-. minus. They didn't make any signings, like literally literally none. I think the draft was fine. I, I like Dyson Daniels a lot. They got EJ Liddell all the way in the second round, which is crazy. And they re-signed Zion, which I'm so glad they did because people just have it so confused, like because he had one season where he didn't play at all. I think his rookie year he played like maybe half of the games played. And then his second season, he was an all-star averaging 27 on like 60% shooting. Like people just got to confuse, man. He's going to be fine. I think he's going to be healthy. So yeah, I'm going to give him an A minus just because everything is about Zion getting back and just seeing what this team at full strength can do. You know, I would probably have to agree. I think this, this team is like, no matter what they really did, I the you can't really, you didn't really have that many significant needs. And so it's like you just acquire some more talent and get healthy and you come back and it, it's just it was really hard to mess it up i think and so they didn't i really like the place they're at going into next year and these videos are on i know i know the social media videos can be misleading sometimes but i just saw a video this morning of him doing like a 360 windmill out of a walk like he just walked into it like no run no like preparation he just walked towards the rim and just he he's a specimen, bro. I don't like if he's on the court and he plays like if he can play sixty five games. This team could be like a five seed, and so like, I'm, I, this team just off that, just off internal improvements, the couple picks they did have, and just Zion coming back, a minus man. I'll do it. I'll throw it out there. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I'm giving them an A minus as well. I mean, considering the fact that less than six months ago, there was talks of Zion leaving, Zion not resigning, Zion getting traded, uh, talks of if Zion doesn't resign, does the Pelicans franchise get relocated? Like, some of it was a little bit overblown, but there was also genuine concerns that Zion would not resign with New Orleans. And so the fact that he's locked up for the next five years now, given the circumstances that were presented not too long ago, is a significant win for the Pelicans. And the draft looks quite good as well uh, with Tyson Daniels and EJ Liddell getting him as late as they did. So uh, I think all in all, nothing significant from an internal uh, addition standpoint. No one's being added via free agency here, but uh, the decisions they did make were significant. And having Zion back for the next five years is definitely going to prove well alongside Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum next season. Moving on to the LA Clippers, a team that will, again, be, as previously mentioned, with the Denver Nuggets, a team that is going to have a key player back from injury in Kawhi Leonard and will look to move back up the Western Conference standings. We'll get your thoughts first from you, Gabe. I just need health. Just need health. That's all. Especially bringing in John Wall, kind of his probably last chance, if we're being honest. It's like, if he doesn't do well here, his career is probably over, so he has a lot to prove. If kind of, it's like I think if he really even cares to prove that he still got it, then he has something to prove. But he could also be like, yeah, I had a stretch of dominance, made millions on millions, 
it doesn't really matter. But if he wants to and he feels like he needs to, he could have something to prove from that perspective. I think just Kawhi staying healthy, being on the floor at all for them this season. Paul George, he missed like the middle, like middle path basically of last year. It's just stay healthy. And that's really the biggest thing for them. Not really a ton of roster moves overall. Losing Hartenstein isn't the greatest, but like getting Kawhi Leonard back on your roster is way bigger than that at the end of the day. So I don't know, man. They're they're hard to grade because it really is just get your guys back and stay healthy. But if they come back and they actually play, then it's like at least a B because you get Kawhi Leonard back on your roster. Yeah, I was going to say B, too. I mean, we'll see how the John Wall move works. I'm hopeful that it, it'll be at least okay. I think it will be. Um, and either way, he's on a small contract. So, you know, if it's if it's a disaster, you could probably move off of him. Um, you did mention the Hornstein. I That's a tough loss, but they re-signed Batum. They got Zubaj back on a really, like, I think a, a steal of a deal, like only $11 million a year, which is kind of crazy because he's so productive. Mir Coffee was good for them too. Got him on a cheap deal. Like you said, Gabe, it's really just about them staying healthy. They're another team that just has to be healthy so we can see what the real ceiling of this team is because, you know, it's always hypothetical. Like, man, if they're healthy, they're one of the best teams in the league. But we haven't seen that health for like basically two of their three seasons together, you know, Kawhi and Paul George. So hopefully they can stay healthy. Um, maybe get a, a backup big in there to supplement the loss of Harness time. But I, I would give it about a B, you know with upside to move up depending on how good John Wall is. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm probably giving them a B as well. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the only addition they really have to make is they've been out there backup big, uh, someone like Tristan Thompson. That could be something that they look at. They don't need anyone significant. Zubach is still going to be the primary guy, and re-signing him at the deal they did was quite valuable. Uh, they also brought back Batum, who's a very valuable member of this group. So they, they kept the surrounding core around, which is good to see. Um, as you guys mentioned, it's really all just about health. Moving on to the other team in L.A., the Lakers, who had to have a busy offseason themselves after a fairly disastrous season. But we have still not seen any move of Russell Westbrook if he does end up getting moved as he has opted into his player option for one more year in L.A. alongside LeBron and A.D. I'll get your thoughts first from me, Tariq. Okay, just judging it off of like right now, obviously Westbrook's still on the team. I'm going to give it a B minus. I don't hate the moves that they made. Um, I think the Lonnie Walker is going to be similar to, you know, what Malik Monk was last year, like a one-year deal for a young guy to prove his value. I like that Troy Brown Jr. I think that was a solid move. Getting Damian Jones in there, JTA, Max Christie. I like I like all those moves. Like, I'm not – the Lakers, their team, you have LeBron James, who's still amazing. Hopefully AD can get somewhat back to what he was, like the 2020 season. You know, that's – it, this team's as good as AD goes, so hopefully he's back to his form. But with, when you have those two playing at their best, less is more. Like, you don't need to go name chase a superstar player. Less is more when you have two guys that are that elite when they're at their best. So I'm going to give it a B-. Um, if they can move off of Russell Westbrook, whether it's for Kyrie or not, it will definitely be an even better offseason. But I don't hate the moves that they made at all. I think Palenka actually did a decent job this offseason. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in that like B range-ish as well. I think I might give him a B. Just I think the main thing I want to add is, well, it's once again not a thing that happened during the free agency period. Bringing in Coach Darvin, him, he just kind of I don't know. He just kind of has that presence about him that I feel like he can really lead this team and be like a voice in the locker room that can kind of calm things down and bring it together. And 
there's a chance that if they keep this big three together, or big three if we want to call it that, I know they haven't had a ton of success together, but you know what I mean. I I think he might be able to make it work. And I don't know if that's just because he's new and it's just the way he presents himself or what it may be, but he gives me faith in the team, whether that's misguided or not, knowing the way their previous season went down. But just off of what Tyreek already said, plus the coaching change, I'll give them a B. I don't I don't know how to feel because I don't mind their moves. But at the same time, I don't see anything here that's going to be like, okay, yeah, this really changes my opinion on the Lakers. Like, I will say I'm glad that they went with younger guys this time around, not just bringing in a bunch of older vets who are a bit more injury prone, who can't compete as much on a given night, who don't have as much energy to bring on the defensive end. So I will give them that. But you lost arguably your best player last year outside of LeBron, AD, and Westbrook, and Malik Monk going to the Kings. Uh, Lonnie Walker is a bit of a replacement for that role, but he's not anywhere near as good of a replacement or consistent of a replacement as far as I'm concerned. And that's saying something because Malik Monk can be inconsistent in his own right. Um, And like, there's fine additions here, but you're talking about Damian Jones or Thomas Bryant having to be your starting center currently, which I'm not that excited about. Uh, Thomas Bryant hasn't looked great since coming off of a serious injury and is coming off of a serious injury. Uh, and Damian Jones has shown flashes in Sacramento, but that's very much just some flashes. Troy Brown Jr., Wontoscano Anderson, they're fine wing pieces, but these are wing pieces that were not playing regular minutes on their former teams. And there's a reason for that. There's fine players. I like Wontoscano Anderson, but he's going to have to play a fairly significant role on this team, and that's a problem. So I think they've made some fine moves but it's not really moving the needle. And so I'm probably giving them a C right now because they're fine. Their additions have been fine, but they haven't done anything that really makes me feel any differently about this year's Lakers team than last year's Lakers team. That's fair. I'm just, I guess once again, I'm falling into the trap. I'm just banking on Anthony Davis not being as shitty as he's been the last two seasons because he's been garbage the last two years. Like I'm I'm just praying like he's actually good this year. And, he- and relatively, like, can play, like, 60 games. Like, that's that's what I'm banking on because if AD's anywhere near his best, it's a totally different Laker team because defensively we know what he brings to the table. When he's locked in on the offensive side of the floor, it's a whole different team. And then you're looking at guys like JTA, Troy Brown Jr., they don't have to do that much out of their element for them to be effective. You know, when we – like, when this team won the championship, they only asked KCP, like, just hit two, hit two three-pointers. You know, they only ask, like, Rondo, like, just come in, like, play decent. Like, they didn't ask those guys to do anything too much out of their element. They just asked Danny Green, just hit a three, hit one, you know, hit one three-pointer. Like, that's all they asked those guys. So, I guess I'm just banking on Anthony Davis coming back and being anywhere near, like, his best form. Um, He's been working with Lethal Shooter, though, so hopefully he's not shooting 18% from three this year. Hopefully. His jumper is such a crazy story, man. Like, he was making everything in the bubble. (laughs) And everything, I I I'm not even going to bring up the a Disney thing because I I hate I hate the bubble jokes as much as anybody. But it's like ever since then, I don't know where this man's jump shot went. It's like everybody talks about him not being healthy, him being off the floor. But it's like yeah, when he was on the floor, the man Bro, couldn't shoot. I don't I don't really, I was, yeah, and we know I'll, he can. That's the biggest thing is that we know he can. Bro, it's funny you say that, Gabe, because I was talking to my dad literally two days ago, and we was talking about Anthony Davis, and he was like, 
My dad, he actually watches basketball, but I know he just looked at AD's numbers and was like, man, he averaged like 24, 25. I'm like, dad, you know there's a difference between a good 25 and a <laughs> shitty 25. He was putting up a shitty 25. He was shooting like his splits were terrible. Like his field goal percentage wasn't as good as it usually is. Three-point percentage was like, I think the worst in the league. Like it was worse than Russell Westbrook. His mid-range jumpers were not falling there. I think he was shooting below league average there. Like he was really bad last year. And he was he was bad the year before, but he missed a lot of games that year. So I kind of gave him a pass. But he he has to have a good he has to have a good year. Now I'm not gonna say MVP caliber year, but he has to be a bona fide all-star starter type of season for him. This is like this is a couple this is three teams in a row now where it's like honestly four teams in a row now. And it's just this just seems to be the theme with the whole Western conference. It's just Stay healthy. healthy. Like we we've done Nuggets, Pelicans, Clippers, Lakers, all in that order. Just stay healthy. Facts, man. Facts. This Lakers team will go as far as AD and LeBron can stay healthy, especially AD. But even LeBron, to an extent, at this point in time in his career. So, and that's that's ultimately where it stands. Those guys don't stay healthy. They suck. Won't be the last time we talk about the Lakers this offseason for sure. Definitely, definitely true. Um, moving on to the recipients of one of the bigger names traded in the NBA offseason, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who acquired Rudy Gobert and made some interesting moves alongside that. Now I'll get your thoughts first from you, Tyree. We got, I, we, I mean, we kind of touched on this trade um, last episode. I like, like, I like the trade. They did give up a lot, but I like it. Um, I think they're going to be a better team. The Kyle Anderson pickup was very underrated. Nobody really talked about that. I think that was a solid dude to bring in. Um, They got Wendell Moore, who's like already a 30-year-old rookie, so he'll be able to come in and produce right away. I I like the moves, man. I like the moves. I would give them a B plus. B plus. They're going to be a much better team. Championship, I don't know about that, but they they will be a much, much better team this year, especially defensively. Yeah, I was pretty much going to say the exact same thing. It's like – the the window more pickup he can he can really supplement a little bit of that depth you lost same with Kyle Anderson they can supplement it a little bit so I'm glad it's like they use free agency to their advantage rather than just making the trade and staying quiet but they just you gave up so much but at the end of the day it's probably a net positive and by probably it's it's a net positive you bring in one of at least at least a top three defender in the league as much as we like to rag on him and hate on him, that that the talent around him and the scheme around him in Utah really did him no favors as much as it might have brought out his like highlights in the regular season. It was built to bring out his lowlights in the postseason. So yes. him playing in what's hopefully a better scheme can really maximize him within just being around this core. As a whole, I really think there's nowhere for them to go but up. They're another team that I, I can really see competing for like a top four seed in this playoffs. And the the West is just so deep this year. But it's like we just talked about four straight teams before that it's like really need them to stay healthy. Minnesota can be better than all those teams because based on what they've shown me, I fully believe this team can at least play. Yeah, facts. Facts. Um, yeah, like. The Rudy Gobert edition was obviously very good. And as you mentioned, they just gave up a ton of assets to acquire him. Um, The positive thing with regards to how much they gave up is as much as they did trade away a lot of depth, they had a nice amount of excess depth on top of the fact that they did 
add some guys in free agency. Like you talked about Kyle Anderson, uh, Brent Forbes was also added on a one-year deal uh, with regards to Jared Vanderbilt being traded away. That is now a role that Kyle Anderson can pick up more minutes in with Malik Beasley being traded away. You brought in Bryn Forbes as a veteran presence at that position. I expect Jalen Noel to take up a big part of that role. I expect a much improved season from him as he's shown some very positive flashes in limited minutes. So they're in a fine spot with regards to depth, even though they traded away a lot of it. I think the only significant loss from this trade uh, that hasn't been replaced and can't really be replaced from an intangible standpoint is Patrick Beverly. Uh, but there's no doubt immediately as an on-the-court improvement, they have improved significantly with the addition of Rudy Gobert. Uh, and like you talked about, Gabe, with the mention of schemes uh, for, for Minnesota's defense and helping Rudy Gobert be more effective and helping the team defense uh, be more effective. I mean, Chris Finch helped D'Angelo Russell look like a very good defender last year thanks to that scheme. Uh, so I have no doubt that with the addition of another elite defender uh, in Rudy Gobert, you throw him with McDaniels now in the starting lineup with Anthony Edwards hopefully continuing continuing to improve on defense. Uh, there's no reason why this team can't be a top three, top five defensive team in the league at the very least. And so I, I think this there's very high upside for them. Uh, ultimately, how good this team becomes is going to be dependent on the continued development of Anthony Edwards. Uh, but that elite level defense they now have alongside Rudy Gobert is going to put them in a very good spot. Uh, and as you guys mentioned, there's no reason why they can't compete for a top four spot in the West next season. I just wish they could have kept Pat Bev, man. That's really that's just my biggest thing because there really is no replacement. That's just from from the intangible standpoint, from just the the culture the culture shift standpoint. Whether is I think I've talked about this before, but it's like if it if his impact on this team's culture can stay beyond his physical presence. That that's he's he he's done a good thing for their franchise, even if he was only there for a year. I think it has a chance too, because they got a little taste of being good. So they'll probably realize, like, yeah, we we actually got to lock in, and you got Rudy Gobert there. I don't like Rudy. He'll probably make like not make them play defense, but just seeing how good he is, they'll probably be a little more motivated to still be a good on that side of the floor. Even though they weren't great all season long, but they had their moments where they were, and had moments where they were you know, back to their old ways, but I think they'll be fine. I think they will. Yeah, their biggest thing is really, I think, just in the transition game. I was watching a video, like, the other day, and it was some stat where, like, after a made basket, they were, like, one of the best defenses in the league when they could actually, like, set up. But then after a miss where the other team just gets to run transition, like, their defense was not great at all. So fi fixing that transition is going to be probably their biggest thing to work on. But, I mean, with all, like, the roster changes now, it's like you're integrating a lot of things. So we'll see. Yep. Moving on to the Portland Trailblazers, a team that has once again decided to keep Damian Lillard and are going to run it back without CJ McCollum for the first time in a very long time. Uh, what are your thoughts, Gabe, on the Portland Trailblazers' moves this offseason? It's, honestly, it's a dub. I got to be honest. Their direction is so weird, and I really – I I still have no idea what their end goal is or what they're trying to do here, but at the end of the day, just look at the like look at the moves list. It's like when you have Damian Lillard on your roster, and you have a top ten pick. If you decide, okay, we're gonna keep our guys and still try to be competitive, I think taking like a shade and sharp is interesting because he is kind of like 
he could he has like super high upside, but it's not they didn't really draft a guy that could like come in and be like a day one contributor. So from that perspective, it's a little strange. But then the actual players they got in Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton is like that's the exact kind of players you want around a Damian Lillard. Two-way guys, guys that can do some of the dirty work, can play defense around him and let him just control the offense, keeping Anthony Simons to kind of be on the offensive side with him. So it's like I think they kind of took care of some of their weaknesses. But at the same time, it's just like a weird mix of old and young, and I don't really know if I like it. So at the end of the day, I'm going to give them a B because I really like Gary Payton and I like Jeremy better than what they gave up to get them. The only player they lost in free agency was Eric Bledsoe, who's not really the contributor anymore. They should be celebrating. But I still I still have – I just don't know, man. I can't push any higher than that just because it's such a weird roster construction. There's some moves I really like, and there's just some that I don't like as much. Or maybe it's just like in totality. Like it's just – like you said, it's just weird. It's a weird mix of guys that they brought in, brought back. I'm going to say like a B minus. The Grant trade was – that was fine. Is he going to be your number two, number three option, I guess? Um, the Gary Payne move, that was – I think that was their best move of the offseason. I just – I'm not a fan of running it back with another small backcourt. Um, and I don't think they got better enough defensively to supplement for that. Um, we'll see how good Anthony Simons can be playing with Damian Lillard because he was totally different when he when he had somebody else on the court that took the ball out of his hands. Like he was, he was still good, but he wasn't as great as he looked when he was the long ball handler. So I'm going to say B minus some moves. I like some moves. I don't, we'll see. Um, we'll see Chauncey Bills will actually a competent team this season and see what he can do. Um, shout out to Dame though, for signing the richest extension ever like that was kind of, kind of crazy, man, but Portland takes care of their guys. As we can see, I just need to say real quick too. I, I do not want to see Yusuf Nurkic running center for this team anymore. I'm so sorry. I I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to be the one to say. I, I feel like listen, I take a lot of shots at Nurk, man. Listen, <laughs> listen, he I love that he sticks up for his guys, and he's like a he's a very great teammate, and he's definitely he's an NBA player. Like he deserves to be in the league, but he is not a defensive center, and this is a team. Like you said, a small backcourt. You need a defensive center on this team. It's like the same team, just a different variation. Like they yeah. upgraded the wing positions a little bit. Backcourt's still going to be weak as hell defensively. And like you said, Nurk is just not a good defender, especially after the big injury he had. He's just not a good defender anymore. Or he actually never was good, actually. So, Yeah, no, this is exactly what I was going to say. Like this team – with the backcourt they have, whether it was Dame or CJ, whether it's now Dame and Anthony Simons, needs a good rim-protecting center because they are going to allow a lot of dribble penetration, to say the least. And they don't have that. Uh, and so ultimately, that significantly limits their ceiling. If I have to just judge this offseason independently of how I feel about their direction, because I don't like their direction, uh, if yes. I'm judging it solely based on what they've done this offseason, then I'll give them a B. Uh, because I think their free agency off seasons have been, their free agency additions have been fine. I'm um, Jeremy Grant was a good trade. I think Gary Payton is a good fit. Um, 
as much as Yusuf Nurkic isn't a good fit, at least you got someone back at center, I guess. And Anthony Simons being locked up is good. But the Shaden Sharp pick is, is odd. It's just really odd. That's the, the biggest thing that holds it back for me is you had a top seven pick and you took arguably the biggest project of the NBA draft. Meanwhile, this is one of the few teams in the NBA that doesn't have a G League team. So you're not even sending them down to the G League to develop. So is he playing regular minutes? Is he playing 20 to 25 minutes a night off your bench? Is he just not going to play? And he's just going to sit on the bench and train with the team? It's it's a bit of a weird pick for me, but the Jeremy Grant edition is fine. The Gary Payton edition is good. Um, but like you said, Tyreek, it feels very similar to teams in the past of Portland. They've just swapped in, in and out a few players. Anthony Simons is now playing the role of CJ McCollum. You now have Jeremy Grant, who is a bit of an upgrade on the wing over what they've had in the past when you compare it to guys like Robert Covington or more in the past of Alfred Caminu. But it's not really enough to significantly raise the, the ceiling of this team that much. And in a Western Conference, that has improved even more so uh, from years previous where they were making the Western Conference final. So... It, it's a fine team, but that's about it. It's a fine team. Yeah, man. Just, I remember when this team was sending out a starting lineup of like, it was like Dame, CJ, Alfaru Kaminu, Mo Harkless, and Mason Plumley. That team was and, good. And literally, I don't know. I maybe look at this team today, and, and and I just I just feel like I don't know. I just feel like it's still the same team. Yeah, they have, they have not been the same, same since they lost Harkless and Aminu. Like that's crazy. Like they really have not been the same team since that moment. Really haven't. That was their best yeah. team. They had some good yeah. defensive wings. They had a center who could defend a bit. They don't have it anymore. I would I would be interested to know if they tried to offer anything for Rudy Gobert. They don't have that much assets. They don't have anything close to what Minnesota gave up. I mean, I, maybe they was bidding something, yeah, and that then Minnesota's like, "Oh yeah, we gotta throw the whole sink at, <laughs> at the, the Jazz to get Rudy." Maybe that's what happened. Because imagine Rudy on this team. I, I might like it a little more. I mean, depending on what they would have had to give up, but even so, I, I think I would like that a lot. I don't more know though, because if you think about it, it's like Rudy, Rudy on Portland. When you think about it, the, the big problem in Utah was. It was, Rudy was getting exposed because they were getting dribble penetrations on everybody. And it's just, there was like no defenders around him. And that was like the whole problem. So if he would have came to Portland, I feel like it would just would have been the same thing. I think it depends on who you would still have. If like, depending on who you would have to give up in that hypothetical trade, it would depend a lot on that. Because if you could still have Gary, like bring Gary Payne in, um, they got Josh. Yeah, Josh Hart's still in the roster. Josh Hart's still there, yeah. Pretty good defender. Like, they would probably be the same team. But, I mean, they got Dame, though. Dame's, a, Dame's an upgrade over Donovan Mitchell. So, a, a, a slightly better Utah, maybe. But maybe. Yeah, it's, they'd, they'd be better, but I don't think – I still don't think we'd be looking at this team and saying, yeah, okay, they're a title contender. And it's like, yeah, okay, they're good. I mean, but that's the thing. Utah was like a second round out team, and Portland with Rudy Gobert, I still feel like it would be a second round out team. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I'm not taking them. I'm not taking them over like a future Memphis, Dallas, Golden State, or Phoenix. I don't know about Phoenix, man. <laughs> no, I, st- on, I still, I still gotta give Phoenix the benefit of the doubt. 
still gonna give them. Oh, I, I can't I can't judge them too much on one game, even though that one game was absolutely pitiful. <laughs> Twenty nine first half points is uh, crazy. If that's if that's the if that's the last we see of Chris Paul like playing competitive, meaningful ball, oh, bro, I'd be sick. Like if he comes out next year and he's just not the same, and it's like that was the last of like good CP three, I'll be a sick man. I'll, I'll I don't be know. Sick. I don't know what this man did, man, but his karma is insane. <laughs> he had to have done some really dirty stuff in his life. Man. It's really just because he tried to go to the Lakers. Maybe. <laughs> David Stern was not letting that happen. He said, nope. I, th- I feel like when David Stern like, passed down the commissioner role to Adam Silver, he said, nah. CP3, he just, no. <laughs> Make sure he does not get a ring. <laughs> not really, though. Really. Who's next? Uh, the, the Sacramento Kings, Kings yes. who we might actually not slander for once on the pod. No so, Kings episode, We said nothing bad about him, which is like the first time probably ever. Facts. For real. Facts. Well, Josh, I, I feel like this is an A, I, like an A minus A type of offseason. I liked it a lot. Honestly, I yeah. Really Kevin Herter, I, th- I think he can fill in for DiVincenzo enough. Not saying he's as good as DiVincenzo, but I think he can fill in enough. I really like Keegan Murray, as I've said many times, and he has proven me right in summer league. He's nice. He can come in and contribute right away, I think, and I think he does have some upside to improve. Along with that, Malik Monk, like we were talking about earlier, he was probably the fourth best player on the Lakers last year, and given how bad AD was and how bad Westbrook was for stretches, there was a lot of times where he was the second best player on that team. So – I really like adding him to their backcourt. Is probably I assume he'll probably be in that like six man type role. I doubt he'll be a starter, but I mean that's something he's really good at. So bringing him in, bringing in Keegan Murray, who I think can be a franchise piece, I will give them an A. Where do I think this team will be this season? Probably still like a ten seed at best, but positives, net positives. Maybe they can be the, the surprise this year because there's there's always a team that surprises you. Maybe the Kings. Can be that team. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to talk myself into. It. I'm trying to talk I think <laughs> the Kings. The Kings' road to the playoffs is really like all four of those. Like they need to stay healthy. Teams, all four of them, like are just injured and not clicking again. That's like I think that's the Kings' road to maybe sneak in. Yeah, that that definitely could play a part. Um, whether Utah decide to trade away Donovan Mitchell or not plays that a part um, how well. can portland play or not i think plays a part because i don't think portland are as much of a lock to get into the plan as some people think they are personally at least so i i think those teams on the fringe like that and some of those teams dealing with injuries will certainly play its part now nah, dame will be in the plane because he's not running from the grind he needs his back against the wall man he's not he's not locking yeah. up anything else except that seven through ten spot because it's high impact basketball straight grind I will say though, Sabonis at the five kind of worries me. That's the one thing that I'm. If if he is a starting center, I don't know if they, or even if they start him and Rashawn Holmes, I'm not a big fan of that. That's the only thing that really worries me. But like based off of their offseason moves, I, I like the the trades they made, the signings, Keegan Murray. They did a really good job. Like the Kings did did good. I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but they did good. Yeah, no, they definitely have done well. Um, Kevin Herter, I think, is going to be a very seamless fit alongside De'Aaron Fox in the starting lineup. Malik Monk, as you mentioned, 
uh, is going to be a good six man for them. Keegan Murray looks to be a very good guy. He's going to be able to impact right away. Um, Sabonis at center defensively is a concern. The only thing that I like on this Kings roster uh, that makes me feel a little bit better about that is that Chemezi Metsu, based on um, how much of a role he plays, can play some time at the center spot as well. So between him and Rashawn Holmes, they can have a few different lineup uh, rotations there where they can hide Sabonis a little bit on certain matchups and on certain teams. But ultimately, Sabonis is going to be playing the majority of his minutes at the five, which is a problem. But Sabonis playing minutes at the four defensively is a problem too. So I think that's something you just have to take with Sabonis is you're going to get that offensive production, but those defensive concerns are going to exist. But generally speaking, they've made some positive moves. I'm going to give them a B plus solely based on the fact that they don't have wings. Um, their wings currently now after Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray are Chemezi Metsu, who's more of a power forward slash center, and Trey Lyles, who's more of a power forward slash center. They don't have a backup small forward to speak of at all. Um, so that needs to be addressed unless they want Terrence Davis to A, be playing regular minutes, and B, be playing regular minutes at small forward. Uh, if that is if he's even healthy and ready to go for the beginning of the season, which I think he is, but he is coming off of a fairly significant injury last season. So I think that some type of addition there, or they might get cooked in the second unit uh, by, by forwards. But outside of that, generally speaking, it has been quite a positive off season. Uh, they've made some good additions to the backcourt. Keegan Murray was a very good fit pick at pick four, as much as Jaden Ivey from an upside prospect standpoint is probably the better prospect for what Sacramento need right now to win right now. I think Keegan Murray was the right pick. So positive moves, like you guys mentioned from Sacramento, it's just a positive direction, whether it gets them into the plane that's tight just because the West is so good right now, but positive moves. Yeah. I think I'm about to say something crazy guys. I'm a, I, I think, I think, I think I might give the Spurs an A. The Spurs. I, really, I think I might give the Spurs an A. Let's hear it. I'd give them like, I would give them like a, a B plus. I uh, just maybe an A minus. We'll say, because it's no, like, no. Stand on it. Stand <laughs> on the A. Stand on the A. Uh, you know, you it, man. I go ahead. Talk, talk your stuff, man. Talk your stuff. So the, it's like the players they brought in. I uh, for might might have a little bias here on the Malachi Brandon pick. Might <laughs> have just. Just a little bit, but I think they brought in players with good upside. They kind of we talked a lot about them having a bazillion guards. They kind of cleared out, kind of cleared out the room a little bit, and they brought in a significant amount of pick equity. And I think we've been we've judged almost every team so far in this video of how much better did you get? But with the Spurs, it's like a different way of grading. It's like how well did you set up your rebuild? And now I just feel like they have a lot of talent, a little bit more variety of talent. I believe they still have most of their own picks, if not they all do, of their yes. own picks. They, do. they have all of their own future And picks. they got a significant amount of pick equity, which, yes, picks can be overrated sometimes. But in this situation, I think it was the right move. And this is also a time where I think – Literally, them and Indiana, to me, are the only teams that are really just going to be, like, super bottom of the barrel. OKC. I think OKC can be better than – They're going to choose Indiana. to be bad. I think yeah, they might choose they, to be bad, but they – they if they really wanted to, they could probably be significantly better than San Antonio and Indiana. And so I think just not only the fact that they set up a rebuild well, 
but that they set up a rebuild well in a situation where a not a lot of teams are bottoming out and b next year's draft class is incredibly stacked their timing along with everything else to me gives them an a well said well said also i'll give them a b plus um because you could do all this and maybe not even get the top pick which i think that's what their main goal is but i think the return of the Dejounte murray trade was great um i i like their draft um i think the sohan pick was good we'll see how he develops offensively but the spurs they got the shot doctor they might they might get something out of him offensively um the brandon pick was very good blake wesley they did a really good job in the draft um yeah we'll see i i would expect yako Poto to maybe get trades Pertle, sorry some probably get trades sometime either before the offseason is over maybe by the trade deadline because he's going to be a commodity teams will definitely want him on the roster but yeah i just i do love that they picked the direction though more teams need to decide to do this just pick a true direction are we going to try and contend are we going to rebuild man yaka perto yaka perto going to portland might be interesting i would keep an eye on that I was just thinking about that. He would be decent there. Just cause we yeah, were just talking decent. about that. Portland needs like a rim protecting big. Yakaperto can get that to you, and he doesn't really fit on. He doesn't really fit on the Spurs that well anymore. He's not really like a rim protector. He's just a very solid defender. Like exactly. Just solid, in general, man. just like yeah. a defensive big. That's something they should look at. Yeah, and think, he's only he's only got one year left on his contract, so I, I don't see a world where he doesn't get moved. Oh yeah, for sure. And the team will throw a first round pick to get him. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm going with an A minus for the Spurs. Um, biggest reason being that they just picked a direction. Uh, that's the biggest part of it. Uh, they've just been sitting in the middle for the last five years, either being on the fringe of the playoffs, on the fringe of the play-in tournament, or in the play-in tournament. And as you mentioned, Gabe, the timing was very good. Um, you sold high on DeJounte Murray. Uh, you sold, you traded away, away at a time where he is coming off an all-star performance season. Uh, you're trading him away where he only has two years left on his contract. So as this contract continues to wind down, his value is probably only going to slightly decline. Not to mention the fact that he, will he have another all-star appearance season again? Maybe not, just surely due to the number of good guards that are currently in the league. Uh, throw that in alongside the fact that as you mentioned, that the draft is going to be so good next year. It was it was the right time to move off to DeJounte Murray to maximize the value of DeJounte Murray and to maximize the time of when you're going to be entering the draft with a high selection. So I think it was a good time for them to rebuild. It was a good time to pick a direction. It's about time they picked a direction. Uh, but because of that and because of the good return for DeJounte Murray, I have to give him a name on us. Kildon Johnson, most improved. He about average like 35 points. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> They really don't have a lot of people. I really just like I feel like after after like DeMar DeRozan left and they kind of saw that DeJounte was their clear cut number one guy. I I feel like they probably had this calculated from the start where they were like, okay. Because I, I just feel like the Spurs front office is smart enough to know like this draft with all this talent is coming up. Let's get this one guy to maximize his value as much as possible get off him and then bottom out while we have all this pick equity it just it i don't know maybe i'm just giving them more credit than they deserve but like if that was their plan after they kind of saw that like demar was on the way out and that kind of era was over shout out to the spurs man 
Yeah, shout out to Dev too. He made a great video on that, which we talked about last week. Appreciate it. Definitely sure. appreciate it. Yeah, picking a direction. That is the name of the game in the NBA right now. If you're sitting in the middle, you're you're just not really progressing anywhere meaningful. So shout out to the Spurs for doing that uh, and finally picking a direction. Moving on to OKC, who might be starting to uh, pick a certain direction a little bit too much, but have certainly continued to add via the draft this offseason. Uh, we'll get your thoughts first, Gabe, on the offseason from the OKC. Chet is going to be the product of a lot of discourse, <laughs> to say the least. I do. I like that they stuck with their guns, though. When there was like the change at the top of the draft, they knew that Chet was the guy they wanted, and they got him. I think he's already meshing really well with like the rest of the team. It seems like him and Josh get to get along really well, which is nice because, I mean, I don't know. It's like just specifically the fact that it's Josh Giddy, it's like, you got this big that you just brought in, him meshing with like your main playmaker. It just that just feels right. So I like that. I like that they brought in other players that just continue to stockpile that. But at the same time, this needs to be it. After this, they need to start trying to compete. You've had enough draft picks, you have enough players on this roster, enough projects, enough people you try to develop. You have enough now, so where it's time to try and start competing. I think this season you really figure out, okay, who are we keeping around for the long term? Who are we willing to move off of? What's kind of our future plans to try and start winning again? And then maybe after that, you flip some of these players for some veterans or just bring people in through free agency or whatever just to kind of get just some older experienced players on the team. Maybe they can push for a 10 seed this year, then after that sign some players to try and make it deep, but – I think I'll give them – I think I will give them a B simply based off the fact that they made the right pick, but they didn't really do anything that crazy impressive. But they it's definitely positive. They got better, but it's time to start winning. Yeah, I, like you said, this has to be it, bro. I mean, four players drafted in basically the top 34 picks. Three in the top, I think, 12. Like that, That's an insane yes. amount, bro. And it's to the point where they, they're having the wave. Young players who have actually shown good signs. Like, they just waved Isaiah Roby. Like, just straight up waved him. <laughs> Young dude just waved him, which is – I just don't like that, man. Like, you just – picks are – like, having a lot of picks are one thing, but having so many to where you just got to straight up get rid of guys, like, without getting anything in return is just kind of crazy. Um, I'm going to give them a B. I think they did good in the, good in the draft, but man, this team they're talented enough to where they can be somewhat competitive. Not like like playoffs for sure, but playing like they're talented enough. Shea's good enough. Giddy's shown good signs. Lou Dort is good enough. Like they they can have a good starting five. Like they can have a solid like a starting five of like five NBA starters. Yeah, like they, they got talent. They got so much, so much like good young talent. It's just like they choose to be bad, which kind of kind of ticks me off a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, but um, shout out to Lou Dort though for getting the big bag because somebody on the roster had to get paid. So shout out to him. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I, I'm probably giving them a B as well. It's very much at a point for me now where they have one more year where if they want to tank for a great draft class next year fine if we get into next season and i've echoed this thought before but if they get in the next season and they're still continuing the tank 
it's a problem uh, because as you mentioned terry like you're waving isaiah roby and this was the concern i've had for okc over the last couple of years is you're just acquiring so many draft picks which in turn is so many players being drafted you just don't have a place for all of them and i'm not saying isaiah roby is some amazing player but that is a former draft pick that you have acquired that had value that you have now used who is still a fine NBA player who obviously had interest across the league as he's now signed with the Spurs that you just lose for nothing. And if that becomes a trend, that's a problem. And it is going to become a trend if they don't start to compete and start to move on from some of these draft picks to make win now moves. Um, so one more year, that's fine. They had a good off season. They made some good draft selections. I think Chet's going to be a good player alongside some of the other players they took from the Yang to the Williams and Lou Dort got his bag and you got him locked up, which is good. But that's the problem. You have Lou Dort and SGA locked up now. These guys are going to start to expect to win soon. So they need to start doing that soon. They're fine for another year. But if they start, don't start making strides towards positive progress up the standings next season, then it becomes a bit more of a concern. Well said. Couldn't have said that any better, bro. Moving on to the Houston Rockets, a team that is a bit younger in its rebuild, but is still one of the teams that will be at the bottom of the Western Conference for next season. Uh, moved off from Christian Wood this offseason as he enters the last year of his contract. Uh, what are your thoughts on Houston's offseason, Gabe? I'm glad that they kind of committed to the direction. Not that they didn't already commit to the direction, because, I mean, like they had John Wall just not playing, but it's like now, especially with the departure of Christian Wood as well, you're with your new group. You're with your young core. It's a new era officially. Every sort of baggage or like older players or anything from like the James Harden era is off the roster. And that's that. So I like that. And I think it's just good to see that it's like now you've completely reset. You've kind of completed the final stages of that. And I think they got a pretty solid core together. I like the Jabari pick. I mean, obviously, when you're at three, you know who the top three are. You get the third guy. It's just, it was a no-brainer, but I do think that Jabari can be really good, and I think he's a player that can be good next to a player like A.J. Lynn Green. So, I mean, all, all across the board, it's like, I like it. Is it anything that they did that wasn't like, you know, kind of like a trade that you're like, or like a pick that you're like, okay, we should definitely do that. Nothing that really surprised me, I guess, is just the easiest way to say it. I think we'll give them a B plus. I was going to say A minus. Um, they were one of my biggest draft winners. Um, just even outside of the, the Jabari pick, man. I love I love Tari Eason, I think. Even in Summer League, he's been playing really well. Ty Ty Washington could potentially be like just a good playmaker for them. And they got rid of Christian Wood. Um, you got John Wall out of there. Very good offseason, man. I'm a fan of it. I'll give them an A minus. Now I'm going to give them a B plus. Uh, is this a solid offseason? You continue to bring in more young prospects. Uh, you get a little bit of assets back for Christian Wood. They're still fairly early in their rebuild stage. I think they're still a couple of years away. Uh, they're probably the furthest away of the teams that started rebuilding over the last year or two, but uh, they're in a good spot. Uh, they've made positive strides again from last season, but it's it's just continuing to draft well, and I think they did a pretty good job of that last in the draft this year, but I don't have too much to say on Houston because I, I think they're still a fair bit away, but they're continuing in the right steps, positive steps for sure. Oh man, that's the last team. Man, and that's that's really that's <laughs> every team. I think I've I think the, the best question to ask now is out of like these 15 teams, 
who had the best off season and who had the worst off season. I'm trying to remember all my grades. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel, I feel like the best is a I good like chance Dallas. that it's Dallas. I think yeah, because I think we all consider giving them an A plus. Yeah, yeah, I think Dallas would probably have to be my top. And that was really one of the only like super close to A pluses at least that we considered. The wor- I think the worst grade I gave was Phoenix. I think I gave them a D plus. They yeah, I think worst it would have been your worst. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I threw out a couple C minuses. There's a couple that I was definitely not the biggest fans of, but yeah. Phoenix is like the fact that kind of they have a player that kind of doesn't really want to be there. They haven't figured that out. He's still on the roster, and they've still somehow gotten worse this offseason. Got worse outside of that. Like, man. Yeah. 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 That's tough. The Lakers are probably up there for me as well, just because. I, you really hate their all season, man. <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan, man. I'm not a fan. I do not believe in this roster. Polarizing, definitely a polarizing. I see some people are like garbage, and there's people like me. I'm like, I'm actually kind of a fan of it. Yeah, this is the Lakers, though. There's always going to be just differing opinions on them. It's just because it's like it's not, none of them are like, like Devin kind of said himself. None of them are needle movers, so it's like uh, okay. Yeah. Like this is a good move. This is a good move. This is a good move. But how many wins is this adding to your win total? And I think it's hard to do that at all in free agency when you have three players on max deals. Yeah, and the player making the most money is the worst out of the three. And who, who <laughs> was Lonnie Walker their mid-level exception? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, six point five mil. It's like. Your your mid level exception that you could have used on something like you used that for a downgrade to Malik Monk. I mean, but people were looking at Malik Monk last year like he was garbage, man. Like not not garbage, but nobody was high on Malik Monk before last season. If we're being honest, I thought he was decent. I, 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 I like him had as one of those guys. It definitely I, was a popular opinion. He he did look good in that last year in Charlotte for like the last two months, though. He did look I, like he good looked, for those two months. He did. I even got, I remember he got hurt. He got hurt. I think, like he was playing so good, then he got hurt. I think. I, think I was I was pretty high on him yeah, coming out of Kentucky, good. and then he didn't really do much for a while. Then he just started having like random like thirty point games. But then I'm there, like, he just seems like an inconsistent guy that's just like putting up numbers occasionally because the team's not good. But he, I mean, there, he showed he can be decent. There are tweets on my on my Twitter account of me basically saying Malik Monk is like the next big man. I thought he was gonna be so good, like really good. Until I realized he was like six three on a good day, I'm like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Dude, I was feeling crazy. Like going into the 2017 draft, I almost thought he was better than De'Aaron, which but was I, that was. A I don't know about that, take. but that I was thought, a cold take. I thought he was a steal where he got picked, though. I think he got picked at like 11 or something like that, and I'm like, yeah, That's a steal. It was early teens for sure. But bro, like in college, he seemed like he was like six five because it's just like how long his arms is and just how high he'd be mm-hmm. jumping and stuff. And then I remember seeing, like, oh, he's, like, 6'3". I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> that might hinder him just a little bit. Bro's literally my height. That's crazy. <laughs> Slight flex. Nah, because you said 6'3 on a good day, and I'm like, yeah, I'm 6'2 I'm and a half. So I, I guess I am 6'3 on a good day, you know. Yeah. 
Over, overall, though, really, I don't, I don't feel like we gave, we didn't give that many like A A plus grades, and we didn't give that many like D D minus and like no Fs. I don't think we gave anything below like a D plus. So mm. it seems like it seems like the West was not really anything like anything no crazy. Like we gave some pretty polarizing grades for some Eastern teams. Yeah, no one in the West was as bad as the Hornets. So. And nobody was like as good as the Pistons. Yeah. It's like, I feel like the East had the best and the worst of the offseason. You gave the Pistons an A plus, man. I love Detroit. I love Detroit Thanks, basketball. Man. I feel like there yeah. was one other team that I thought about giving an A plus to. It might have been Atlanta. Did one of y'all get the Celtics an A plus? I don't think so. No, I, I think I think in the A's, but I don't I, think yeah. it was an A plus. I definitely, I, I, I feel like I was definitely at an A or an A minus just because. Or I think I said A minus. I didn't want to be too biased. You make the finals, and then you get better. You know, you can't really, yeah. you can't really hate on that at all. Charlotte, but Charlotte's F. It wasn't like a, like a sixty-seven percent. It was like a, like a forty percent F. Like it was garbage. Like just, <laughs> like yeah, you're, you're not saving this grade. There's no way you're saving this grade. Yeah, no, definitely. I I feel like that. I've I've become a lot more critical of Washington as we further got into the offseason, but that's fair. They sur- they survive for now, but the- I'm more mad at Washington than Charlotte because one of the biggest hits to Charlotte was the fact that Miles Bridges is just like a dumbass. Yeah, pretty much. And so just the fact that that's out of their control is like it's just kind of a tough break. Every single thing wrong with Washington is Washington's fault. Who's the GM over there now? I know they got rid of um, Grunfield, but this whoever's there now is not doing that much of a better job. Which GM is? Tommy Shepard. Tommy Shepard. Oh, God. He received a contract extension in November of 2021. Amid their fast start to the season, and that blew up in their face pretty quick, unfortunately. Hey, I was right up. Because I remember last offseason, I was gassing them up. I'm like, man, they might, they're going to be a playoff team. And then, like, a couple months into the season, it was like 12 <laughs> seed. I'm like, okay. They, they, had some, they had – I felt like the second half of the season with Westbrook, like, they were kind of starting to turn up a little bit. You know, they made that playoff push to get that eight seed, and they they, they were they were solid. They, they had a nice little duo going. And if they were going to keep trying to compete with Beal, they just – Never should have even gave him up, to be honest. But even still, I don't think I'd feel any differently about this team because what was a duo of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook really going to do? Being more fun than bringing KCP and Montrez Harrell. Definition of mid. Yeah, like they're they're just a slightly better mediocre team. Like they, like they they're still they just legit, in the middle. They legit lost a playing game to Jason Tatum by himself. Facts. Jason Tatum, Kimball on one knee, Evan Fournier. Like, y'all really lost to that team. That's just embarrassing. Yeah, they're just – that's the most unfortunate thing with them now is they're just – they're locked in to being bang average, and there's literally nothing they can do about it unless Beal decides he wants to leave, which given the fact he just resigned after this long in Washington and not having success – Probably isn't that likely. The no trade clause might make them have the worst off season. That might make them have the worst off season. I, I just like I just remembered the fact that literally, yeah, they can't get rid of him if they want to. 
If they finally mm-hmm. decide they've had enough, because we were talking last episode about uh, how, like, I think it was Indy did not rebuild forever because they're like, okay, at least we got like somebody bringing in like some ticket sales, some jersey sales or whatever. But then they were last in attendance and it was like terrible, and they got off of it. Washington, if they come to the same realization and decide they want to make a change, they can't. Yeah. Garbage. Not to not to mention Beal has a fifteen percent trade kicker, so any team that oh, trades for him God. is going to be paying him even more money, which is like it's even if Beal does want to end up getting traded at some point, it's gonna be hard to just move that contract regardless. Like they've they've on multiple fronts got themselves in a spot where it is going to be extremely difficult to ever move off that contract if they want to. Bro, fifty million a year for a fringe all NBA player is insane. It's yeah, like it, this is like the 19th best player in the league, and he might—he might not even be. I, I don't think I had him as a top five shooting guard going into last season. To be honest, I don't know if I did. Yeah, and fair enough. I think I had him on like six because he's—he could score the ball. He showed a little bit of playmaking flashes last year, but I think it's because he had to. It's just like because like, if, if they they pretty much have to wait at least like two or three years to even realize that they would want to move on. Because then if you're trying to trade him, like nobody's trading for Bradley Beal with four years on his contract. No. With no. for that much money, it's like at the at the minimum, probably two years left is when people would trade for him. And so if you want to like start moving on before that, say one year passes and we're like, okay, we need to change this, he might sit there like John Wall did in Houston for two seasons if that were to happen. Bro, if I was a GM, like if I was a GM of that team, I would have traded him like two years ago. Like once I knew John Wall was gone, I, I probably would have let him have his breakout year. And then I would have traded him. Literally, like like what the Spurs did with Dejounte Murray, like Demar leaving yep. San Antonio would be like John Wall leaving. Let your player that you still have get his value up, put up crazy stats, show that he's like a nice player, and then get off of him while you can. It's better to trade somebody. <laughs> couple years earlier than a couple years too late it's like okay it's like okay you were trying to compete when you made the westbrook move but then when you move off westbrook now okay you're not competing in this east with bradley beal and then the couple role players that you traded westbrook for it's like as soon as you make that trade just rebuild yeah yeah i mean we could be talking about this team like we're talking about detroit and orlando and instead they're honestly the team that i'm probably the least negative about in the league right now because they just there's they have even less upside than teams in the middle like Portland, and they're not committing to a rebuild. Literally, the the Brooklyn Nets gave up their entire future for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, and they still probably they came out with a solid rebuild, bro. Like you can do it. Teams are scared to fully commit, man. It took Indiana like two decades to do so. It took Atlanta a very long time, too, and they flipped their stuff around really quick. They literally, from, like, the Al Horford era to, like, the Trey Young era, it was, like, a year and a half flip. They was bad, I think, for two seasons because they they were bad to get Trey Young, and then they were bad his rookie year. Then after that, they've been a playoff team. Made the conference finals in his second year, I think. Yeah, Yeah, like, no. Yeah, was it? Or no, that might have been year three. Year three, yeah. Year three, okay, so, yeah. So yeah, they were bad for his first two years. I you just kind of forget about the second year because I don't even think they went to the bubble. No, but he was remember he's an all-star starter and it was yeah. like the worst team in the East. <laughs> yeah, because they were they were literally one of like the eight teams that didn't go to the bubble. Yes, yes. 
uh, you know. Which is really crazy. There's a couple teams in the league that really just had like – everybody talks about how the bubble offseason was so short, but like those like eight teams that didn't go to the bubble legitimately had like a ridiculously long offseason. Warriors didn't even capitalize though. They came back the next year and were just Steph Curry and whoever. <laughs> Steph Curry and bums. <laughs> Steph Curry and I mean, I don't want to oh, say I, I don't want to say what flight was they, but in the Red Star, nobody. <laughs> Who else did it was the Warriors, Hawks, the Knicks did not go to the bubble. The Wiz. The Wizards, no, they didn't. The Wizards did not make. The I don't trip. think. I don't think the Hornets. No, were they did. I feel like no. the. I feel like the Hornets and the no. Pistons were both not there. Hornets, yeah, they were bad. Pistons, the Cavs were weren't there. Cavs weren't there. I don't think six. the Bulls were either. No, the Bulls were not there. They were garbage. Seven and then Timberwolves, there was, Pelicans, Timberwolves. There was, were there. I think out of like the eight that were not there, there was only like three teams in the East that didn't go. Yeah. But yeah. the West had a little bit more like separation of like who was definitely out. Yeah. Yeah. The West, it looks like were Spurs, Kings, Pels, Timberwolves, Warriors. And the East was. No, the Spurs were there. Or no, were the Spurs there? Right. The Spurs Pelicans were there, there too because I remember JJ Reddick was trying his hardest to make the playoffs. Right. Sp- yeah, I know the Spurs were there because they had Demar in the Who team. They were it? they were because it was weird. It was weird because they like I think the East only had like nine. I think they only had nine teams, bro. Yeah, uh, I think it had to be because there the gap between nine and ten was like too much. It was like I really I think it might have been just their eight and then the Wizards, like the eight that made the playoffs. So, and the yeah, Wizards. it might have been because yeah, like the, the, Ma- the Magic the were the eight seed with thirty three wins. The Warriors had twenty five, and the Hornets had twenty three as the ten. Dude, I, I really think the Wizards might. I think they might have went like zero and eight in the bubble. Uh, probably. Yeah, they, they, were, probably I, do. they They show was two and eight in their last ten, so they probably they said that they won their last game, so they probably won the last game and lost everything else. Yeah, I think the West, because remember Phoenix, Phoenix was went on the, the last team. On. Yeah, they were the last team to getting to get the invite to the bubble. Yeah, and they, they went eight no, and they barely missed the playoffs. I think because the Spurs won their final game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah the Trailblazers had thirty five wins, and it was the Grizzlies that were ahead of them that then played that plan. Oh yeah, I think it was the Grizzlies beating. Yeah, the, 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 the yeah, and the Grizzlies had to play Portland in that plan. Bobo Dame might be like top five best basketball players I've ever seen. Was the was it at the bubble where he had that like fifty five point triple overtime game or something? No, that was um double OT in Denver twenty twenty one. Denver, okay. I could have. I just that that was one of the craziest games I've ever seen. He was he was making every. He literally had Austin yes. Rivers praying to God. <laughs> I remember. I remember they put they put Shaq Harrison in specifically to guard Dame. He still <laughs> beat the buzzer Dude, inside the game. Bro. He was just making like he just tough, get the ball. He just Step get backs, the ball. The key. Go to the three point line. It wouldn't matter who was there. He just they didn't decide to send a double or nothing. Like I'm sorry. After he hit the first one, I'm sending a double. Get the ball out of his hands. That's it. That's a that's a wild man right there. That's a different man. Honestly. I look, like I know everybody's like y'all are absolutely crazy for making the Steph Dame comparisons. Y'all forgot who Steph was, bro. We like Steph is that guy, and I'm not saying that Dame was ever better than Steph, but this dude was he was putting on some master classes. 
Yeah, when it comes to just pure talent, like it, it I don't, I don't think it was a debate, but Dame was definitely there. Like Dame could hold his, he will hold his own with Steph Curry for sure. He probably had a nice little spot as the best point guard in the league while Steph was injured. Oh, he's, I only think like, close, honestly. Like, yeah, and so if you can say you were the best year position in the league for any significant stretch of time, it's like you you have my respect for sure. The bubble year, he was playing MVP level. They were just terrible. Like, they couldn't defend anybody, so they were just a bad team. But he was playing, like, like, MVP level. Didn't one of, like, the TNT guys pick them after they won game one against the Lakers? Probably Chuck. I think it was Chuck. Yeah. There were some people that were stupid high on Portland and thought they were just going to cause all of the upsets. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Dame's good, but it it is still Portland. CJ's back was messed up. Who They're like your wings? Starting center, bro. Gary Trent was starting to break out, but like, oh, yeah, my guy Gary Trent. Yeah, but I mean, he was <laughs> he had to guard LeBron. Like, um, that's <laughs> he's a good defender, but that's LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the only man who can stop LeBron James is Jason Terry, and he is not in the league anymore. JJ so. Barea. <laughs> Those are the true J's. Jason Terry, JJ Barea. That is true. That's 100% true. My thanks. Bro, t- I feel like I haven't had an NBA TikTok rant in a while. Like, it's it's been a couple months. But it's it's time for another one, man. Look, listen. So there's this one podcast. I'm not gonna name them because I don't even want to give them that attention. But basically, everybody that's on there for the most part, they just give some piss poor takes, and it's definitely just like trying to bait for content. Like I can just tell. I tried to mute the account, but their videos keep popping up. So one day I'm scrolling, and one of their videos popped up, and this dude was giving the take. Not gonna give his name because he's he's just bad. But it was basically talking about. The how JJ Reddick was talking about Bob Cousy, like Bob Cousy wasn't shit. Like he was not like a talented basketball player. Like that's obvious. We know that. And dude really was trying to say like his exact words was Bob Cousy would run circles around JJ Reddick. <laughs> so I, I sit so I stitched the video. I'm like, I was kind of joking in a sense, but I was being serious at the same time. I'm like, bro, JJ Reddick played in the same time as Bob Cousy. He would have been probably like the best white player in the league like he would have been probably dominant and then people was like trying to rebuttal like oh there, there's no three-point line blah 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 so i made another video like okay jj reddick shot like 47 percent from mid-range in his career like he's still elite there and even if you take away the three-point line he'll still probably take long jump shots and he shot 41 percent. so he's stupid efficient while bob Cousy's ass never shot over 40 percent in his career like this all this all time great never shot forty percent in his career from the now here here's let me ask you this just just out of curiosity who do you think would be a better ball handler JJ Reddick or Bob Cousy JJ Reddick <laughs> yeah which is crazy because he is not known for that like at all yeah but if you watch him at Duke like he could he could put the ball on the floor a little bit not just yeah. a spot up shooter. More than, a, more than an NBA 75 point guard. Bro, I, personally, I think I could have done Bob Cousy's job. Passing yeah. if, I, if I was passing to Bill Russell, yeah. If I dedicate all my time <laughs> to being an NBA player, I feel like I could do Bob Cousy's job in the 1950s. Bro, imagine, imagine. Except for segregation and stuff, but. 
that's nonetheless. <laughs> Imagine it being like 1962 and you're like the point guard of the Philadelphia Warriors. Like, just, just throw the ball to Will. Except, like, bro, like, how, like, how do you, you're not taking jumpers. How do you not shoot 40% one time in your career? You play for a long, how do you not shoot 40% once? And you're just all time great. Doesn't yeah, make any sense. Crazy. Does not make any. The the most who's the most average point guard in the world right now? That's a tough question. I don't know why the first the first thing that came to my mind was Ish Marcus Smith Mark. for some reason. Okay, Ish Smith. Ish Smith would probably if if we dropped him in the nineteen sixties. He would probably dominate. Man, his speed alone would just have him running circles <laughs> bro, around everyone. You said Marcus Smart, like, bro, Marcus Smart is winning MVP and he like, might like <laughs> if you dropped him in 1965, bro, like they won't and know what, what to do with him. They they they're burning him yeah. at the stake for witchcraft, bro. <laughs> and what be killing me is like it's like probably people younger than us that be saying this stuff, like, bro, y'all. You damn sure did not watch no Bob Cousy. Like, you weren't even thought of. Your parents probably weren't even alive back then. Your grandparents might have been kids at that time. Like, y'all, like, I don't know why people be pushing for Cousy or John Stockton's another one. Like, they really be pushing these narratives. Like, bro, y'all know nothing about them, man. Like, just stop. Yeah, thanks. I only got, I think I only got two players that played before 1980 to be in my top 10. And that is. Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and that is it. And Kareem played in like the '80s a lot too, so it's like yeah. Kareem I dominated Will, I the give, '80s. I give Will his respect. I give the Big O his respect. I give Jerry West his respect. But you're not gonna sit here and tell me Bob Cousy was shit, bro. Like no, <laughs> Dolph Shays. Like come on, man. Like these are dudes that didn't shoot forty percent. Like that's insane. Bill Sharman. <laughs> like, like, that still cool. makes me like, so cool mad. People, like, <laughs> come on, bro. Listen, with the evolution of the sport, like, I'm sorry. The, the original 50 are not all still top. There's probably there's probably no, 10 players know. on the NBA 75 that are not top 100. Yeah. yeah. Probably not even top 150, if we're being honest. Yeah. Like, respectfully, put... If you put CJ McCollum in the 60s, greatest player ever. <laughs> they might have kicked everybody to work. They might have kicked him out the league. They would <laughs> kick him out the league. I'm a, let me let me say this, bro. If you if if you put like five players from the current NBA into the ABA in the 70s, ABA might put the NBA out of business. The NBA yeah. might have been merging into them. Definitely. Like, just a better, more entertaining product. Better players. They would be the best players in the world. Like people with these narratives be killing me, and like that's that's why I find it hard to like watch other people's podcasts, other than through the wire, because it just be a lot of like bad takes, hard comparison of players, and just like bad, just bad content overall. It's like I don't know. People just don't appreciate the game a lot, like enough. And they just – I feel like people that are in the content-creating space, they feel like they just have to have these hot takes to get any type of traction, which is just not true. Like, if you make good content, people will watch you eventually. Yeah, facts. 
effects. And yeah. yeah, like, I don't know, like, it's just a natural evolution of any sport. Like, it's not necessarily a basketball thing. Like, you can look back and look at any sport 30, 40, 50 years ago. Like, it's just the evolution of the sport, the evolution of, of medical facilities, the evolution of training, the evolution of nutrition. Like, it's no knock against players that have played 40, 50 years ago. It's just how it is. Like, you can go back and watch a hockey game from 50 years ago. It looks like you're watching a much slower and much less entertaining game because that's just the reality of it. Like that's just the evolution of athletics, the evolution of any given sport. Like it's no knock against them. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. Anything like in the NBA, like anything pre nineties, I just can't watch. I can't sit down and watch it. I can watch the nineties because it's Jordan and, you know, even like Hakeem's teams, like I can watch them because they're, not as modern, but they're closer than, I mean, the 80s. It's like you got somebody on the wing backing down their defender while somebody's on the low block posting up. Like, it's just, it's disgusting. Like, it's just so nasty to watch, man. Like, like, nah, I can't. Like, NBA TV always runs reruns of, like, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. I just can't watch those teams, Dang, man. You can't watch Showtime? Nah, I feel like I, I, probably, feel like I could I watch Showtime watch... probably more than the Celtics from the 80s. I was about to say, I don't think I could go back and watch, like, an average like 80s game like i could sit down and watch like i don't know like cleveland versus toronto this year or something which is just like two like mid-level teams playing against each other but if y'all watch like two mid-level teams from the 80s play each other i probably couldn't watch it probably so nasty (laughs) but i think yeah the 90s especially there's just a lot of stars man i don't know it's like when you think about the 80s as like time has progressed, there's only really a couple big stars from the era that you still think about in the modern day and still talk about commonly. Whereas like with the nineties, it goes pretty deep with like Jordan, Pippen, Hakeem, Patrick Ewing, Reggie Miller, like Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. The more you go around the league, it's like there were just names that like people still recognize and talk about in the modern day. And you just don't see that with the older eras. Uh, most definitely, man. But like Devin said, like evolution is still good. It's just it's a part of anything in life. Like just how like media is evolving. Like now we have, you know, virtual podcasts and stuff and social media and all that. Like things, they evolve and people aren't good. Like the older generations aren't going to be able to agree with it because they grew up a certain way. They watched certain players and they think those certain things like that's law, like. You can't tell old heads like Jordan's not the greatest thing ever. And you can't tell most of our generation that LeBron's not the greatest thing ever. It's just a matter, it's just a matter of the, the fact of evolution, man. I just wonder who's gonna be next. Cause I don't it's it's crazy because I was like they probably thought in 1970, they probably thought we will never see a player like Will Chamberlain. Yeah. And now it's like then Kareem came along, set all the scoring records, broke pretty much every record he could or cared to. And it's like, we will never see a player like Kareem. Six MVPs, you know. Michael Jordan comes along, it just evolves the conversation. It's like, now, whereas in 1970, like, most people, like, I don't know. Honestly, it was probably like that, like, talent versus accolades debate. But it's like, now, both of the players who were in GOAT contention at that time are not even, like, there's no debate now. Yeah. So I just like how it will continue to evolve going forward, I think will be very interesting to see. Yeah, the next great's probably like in middle school right now. 
Just chilling. Yeah, facts. Yeah. I don't know though, man, because it's like LeBron is compared most heavily to Jordan, and LeBron came into the league right when Jordan retired. So it's like, yeah, maybe maybe we haven't seen the next guy to really get into that conversation. Maybe we've seen somebody that'll get close. I mean, I mean, obviously Steph Curry is like a top ten, but I mean, like LeBron had a game into the league yet, but you had like Kobe yeah. in the league for a while before Jordan retired, per se. And while he's not like a goat candidate, he's like obviously in a top ten, any like most average people's top ten, except for people on NBA TikTok. <laughs> All those stat nerds that look at analytics. He shot forty-four percent. He shot forty-four percent. Can't be a top ten. I was player. Saying, two thousand stats are crazy. Like you can't look at any st- like efficiency stat from the early two thousands, or you will think that that's like the worst era of basketball ever. You'll yeah, think every I mean, player that played from two thousand two thousand five is terrible. Yeah, yes. I mean you just can't compare efficiency stats across eras. Like the game changes, spacing changes. Like it's you can't compare that. That the flow of the game and how the game is played impacts efficiency. Like. It's just not comparable, and that goes for most things between eras, but especially efficiency. I guess, I guess, it's, it's like that's like right around when like hand checking and stuff change, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah, is that I like is that the is, is that kind of the main reason why like the efficiency was so terrible? Probably illegal defense, too. Yeah, legal defense, hand checking, and just as the evolution of the three-point shot has increased, that has in turn helped two-point efficiency because there's just more space. Um, Jimmy Hyroller's video on that, I don't know when that was. It was sometime during the finals, I think, was an interesting um, video on that. Honestly, yeah. The, the biggest thing I could think of for like the, the, like the early 2000s in particular might be just because that was when you really started to see moves to like teams really built around guards. I think because of the impact Michael Jordan had, because most of the like big teams in the nineties were still built around like big men, sometimes wings, but rarely were built around guards. Yeah. And so I think as you moved into the two thousands with like Allen Iverson, Kobe, Tracy McGrady, even like Ray Allen with the bucks, teams like that, like probably going to those guard offenses without really having the evolution of the three point shot and things like that. I guess it was just the perfect storm of, not efficient offense. That's another thing. You just brought up Ray Allen. Have y'all been seeing they're trying to compare mm-hmm. him and Clay Thompson? Brown versus Clay. Yeah. Yes. Bro, there's in my like there's no comparison. Like, nah. Clay's good, but Ray Allen was he was the number one option. He was so elite. Like Yeah, facts. Facts. A game away from the NBA finals as a first option in year five. Respectfully, Clay Thompson's not on the doing books that. on the books. Like, come on now. People are just people are out of their minds, man. I, I promise you. People will be thinking about Miami Heat Ray Allen, and that's it. And Clay will and like, barely late Celtics Ray Allen. Like, come on now. Clay will barely ever face a double team in his whole career because he plays with like the greatest spacing of all time. Like. Like, like Ray Allen's efficiency stats are very close to Clay's efficiency stats, and like we just said, like the least efficient era of ball, while taking yeah. more difficult shots that he had to create for himself. Like legit, like he, like back in the day, he was like a legit like three level type scorer. Like he could do all things. He was a pretty good playmaker, good defender. Like Clay Thompson is a three. He's He's the like upper echelon of three and D players. Like that's what Clay Thompson is. And Ray Allen was a legit franchise player in his time. 
and it's like we we're, we're just talking about like Bucks Ray so far. It's like that's not even Sonic's his prime. Sonic Ray, yeah, like, yeah, that's his prime. I don't know, man. There's NBA Twitter is just such a bad place. Like, there's yeah. always just every like few months, just a weird debate comes up. Like, whether it's this or it's Tony Parker's better than Dame <laughs> and Russell Westbrook, or I don't know, it's always something, man. And it's just like, who was bored enough to make this up? And how did this gain traction? Because it's just terrible conversations. Yeah. Clay, it's just yeah. The thing with Clay to me is always he's always been weird to rank for me. Even I remember like back a couple years ago, like trying to rank him like probably like 2018 era in the top shooting guards with like a Jimmy Butler and like DeMar DeRozan like those three for me it was always so weird because Clay he's so good at what he does but for me he's just like not dynamic enough yeah Clay plays his role well but like if he was that number one type option then he probably gets rated less highly than he does now because he looks better than he would if he was in a Jimmy Butler role, or if he was in a DeMar DeRozan role. And that's nothing against Clay. It's just the nature of what he's good at and what he does well in his role. And that's like, what's always made him so weird. Like, he just doesn't have yeah. a guy that can take over and become a first option because of his play style. It's not like it's just a lack of touches because he's next to, like, a Curry. Like, I think CJ's numbers went up because he wasn't in the backcourt next to Dame anymore. If Clay's not next to Curry, he's not taking over playmaking duties. He would need so much for – him to excel and for the team to be decent, he would need a lot. Like, you'd have to build a team around Clay Thompson, and nobody's doing that shit. Like, come on now. It's like, yeah, floor, floor raising. He's not a floor raiser to me, like, at all. I think yeah, he's, not, he's a, he's yeah, a, certain, a like, he is a crazy ceiling raiser. I don't know if he's a floor raiser. He's like the perfect, like, he, Clay Thompson's a role player, but he's like a, he's an all star role player. Like, He's like yeah. the perfect role player that you would want next to your star. Like any any star in the league would love Klay Thompson next to them. Just so happened Steph Curry got the luxury of playing with Klay Thompson basically his whole career. I mean, that's how it goes, man. It's like it's like Michael Jordan playing next to Scottie Pippen, bro. Yeah. Scotty, he played his role, but he was so amazing at it that but even even Scottie Pippen was like when Michael Jordan retired the first time, like that team was nice. If Steph Curry missed a year and Clay was like playing, I don't think they're going to the second round like the Bulls did without Jordan. I think that might be more of a. I'm gonna sound like I'm hating on Scotty, which I I do kind of be hating on Scotty because he, he he be talking out his ass sometimes. But I think that was a little more Phil Jackson too. Phil Jackson is like one What's of that, the goats. Wasn't BJ Armstrong an All Star that year? Yeah, he elevated That's crazy. his play. That's crazy. Like the Bulls, Michael Jordan retired and they had an all star guard. Which could, I know, like that was an era where like fan voting made things crazy. Like Kobe's first all star appearance, he should not have been an all star. <laughs> nah, thanks. Luckily, he ended up becoming something great. But like, imagine, like, I don't know, a good play, like somebody that was really good, like for like a year or two with him fizzled out. Imagine they're like an all-star starter, and it's like, how did this dude get into an all-star game? Yeah, Kobe's first two years, he was kind of bad. Not even kind of. He he was bad. <laughs> he just be, kind of became so great that it's like, oh, he was an all-star that young? That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. No, nobody questions it at all. <laughs> uh, 
That'd be like if Michael Carter Williams was an all-star his first year. Like that's like, when when Gabe asked that question, that was yeah. the first player that came to my mind. <laughs> that yeah, that was in my head, but I'm like, he kind of already flamed out by year two. So I'm like, I don't know if maybe I should like, bring up that. Maybe like Tyreek Evans. Yeah. <laughs> maybe somebody like that. I don't know. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Three Point Weekly. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on all of the Western Conference offseason moves so far and any predictions you have for where the remaining trade targets and free agents will go, such as DeAndre Ayton and Colin Sexton. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.